My name is Jonathan Blackwood. Welcome to My Tech Decisions Podcast. Today's guest is Matthew Andriani, founder and CEO of Mazebolt. Matthew and I discuss cybersecurity, specifically phishing attacks and DDoS attacks. For both such attacks, Matthew touches upon what the attack is, how it hits corporate environments, the fallout from such attacks, how to prevent them, and how to mitigate them. Specifically, we focus on employee training and the importance of developing a strategy before these attacks occur. With such a prevalence of cyber attacks all over industries today, I encourage you to pay attention to how much Matthew stresses the importance of cybersecurity strategy. Enjoy the interview. Before we get to the interview, a quick reminder that My Tech Decisions podcast is now available on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Make sure to subscribe in order to instantly download the latest interviews with expert AV integrators, IT providers, security installers, technology manufacturers, and commercial technology decision makers like yourself. If you like what you hear, you can leave a comment and rate the podcast as well. Search for My Tech Decisions podcast on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Download and subscribe. Now let's get to the interview. Welcome to My Tech Decisions podcast. Today's guest is Matthew Andriani, founder and CEO of Mazebolt. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, we're having Matthew on as part of our cybersecurity track. And uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about phishing attacks and uh, DDoS attacks. And just before the call started, uh, Matthew was telling me that his organization has actually uh, released some uh, very recent information in, in kind of a report that's the first of its kind uh, around DDoS attacks. Uh, Matthew, could you tell us a little bit about that just to start off? Sure, Jonathan. We've just released uh, what we call the State of DDoS Protection Report, which is a, a gathering of statistics using a very standardized methodology since 2015 to 2017. And we have portrayed to our customers using these statistics the actual um, level of defense that a typical enterprise has in place when they deploy DDoS protection. So they go and purchase uh, some kind of DDoS protection from a vendor. Then what happens is we came and tested that system, and then we got results. And those results are what have been released. It's an accumulation of two years of results. And the results are very, very interesting uh, data for decision makers that have to protect their organizations against downtime uh, arising from DDoS attacks. And I think it will really help, for instance, if you're deciding on putting a scrubbing center or a hybrid solution or customer premises equipment, whatever you're deciding as a decision maker, you will be able to really be guided by this report. And I think it's some very interesting data for any reader. Well, we'll get into that uh, a little bit later in our discussion. But first, I want to start with uh, phishing attacks. Um, 
Sure. From a corporate sense, you know, we've all heard about phishing attacks and, and they've been out in the news a lot. And I'm sure people see, you know, uh, and have heard of people that have been affected by them. But in a corporate sense, when it comes to enterprise level or higher education, healthcare, whatever it might be, what is a phishing attack and, and what are threat actors looking to accomplish from a phishing attack in the corporate sense? Okay, so there's a couple of things you asked me there. I think uh, in a corporate sense, phishing attacks are still very, very uh, prevalent. I think they're one of the top attack vectors out there right now. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. A phishing attack consists of somebody, a, a malicious threat actor, sending in an email to an organization, normally with, an, with a link or with an attachment, trying to lure the user to take action of either clicking a link, downloading an attachment, or clicking a link, then going to a form and filling in that form. And the objective of the attacker really is to get the user to take an action that could uh, further that attacker's uh, uh, entry into that, into that network or extrapolate data from that user. For instance, the attacker could send uh, somebody in finance an email that looks very similar to Ernst & Young who's a big accounting firm, or Deloitte & Touche, or you know, some big accounting firm, send someone in the accounting firm of a big enterprise organization and say, hey, we were just trying to uh, validate if uh, these PDF files are correct or something like that. The, the finance person would go and double-click that file. And when they double-click that file, that may install a piece of malware on that, on that uh, user's computer, on the finance user's computer, which then allows the attacker to get into that network, control that computer, and take financial data out of the organization. That's one scenario. Another scenario could be somebody gets an email from the IT department that it looks very similar to the IT department's email and says, hey, please reset your password here by clicking a link. The user, the unsuspecting user clicks that link, goes to a form, puts in the new password, and guess what? You just sent the attacker your password. So. They really, the point of a phishing attack is for an attacker to gain entry into an organization systems without having to penetrate your perimeter security, i.e. your firewall or, or, or other defenses you've got in place. Being a, a phishing attack means that every organization has to allow email to come into their organization. So the attackers use this channel to, to, as an entry point. It's a door that's always open in most organizations. And I, I know that, popular. sure, and I know that, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure that most of our audience has seen uh, some of the emails that come through, through phishing attacks, and a lot of them are, I mean, they're, frankly, they're pretty garbage. They, they you know, they have misspelling or uh, they have strange links in them and, and they're easily spotted, but that's not always the case. Some, some of these guys get pretty sophisticated with how they try to impersonate someone that you might know or your IT department. Can you tell us uh, how, how uh, kind of sophisticated these guys really do get? That's a very good question, Jonathan. Um, and that's a good point, actually. Uh, I, I, you're 100% right. There's different variants of phishing attacks. There's something called, uh, you know, more of your spam type phishing attacks, which are, you know, kind of your scams. And then you've got something called spear phishing and even uh, whale phishing attacks. What it means is spear phishing attacks is where I go and do research on maybe a particular person in an organization. Let's say, let's go back to our fi financial guy. Our, let's say we've got a CFO in a company. 
I'll go on to LinkedIn, I'll see what that CFO's name is. I might go on to Facebook, look at his family members, look at who he's connected to. Maybe, uh, maybe I can see that, hey, this CFO is connected to Ernst & Young. Maybe I can see that this CFO does like sports. Maybe I can see that he likes his different likes. I can find out a lot about this person using uh, open research on all the social media. And then I can very much customize. Let's say the attacker could also send first an email into the organization they're targeting. Let's say if they were targeting some large bank, they would first send an, an email there get an email back from the bank. The email could be a completely legitimate email first, asking about the bank's services. Then when the attacker gets that email back, what they'll get is they'll get the signature of that bank. They'll get how the formatting of the emails of that bank look. And then what they'll be able to do is craft an email that looks very similar to that bank and maybe impersonate someone from within that large organization to that CFO, that that CFO may think he's getting an email from his IT department, for instance. And they, 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 that would be very customized to that particular CEO. And that email is very advanced and it's very, very effective also. We've actually seen in, we have a phishing awareness uh, program that we have with large enterprises that we've seen that when we do these spear phishing campaigns with these really, really targeted emails, you can get an over 50% lure rate, meaning 50% of those individuals completely followed all the steps in that phishing campaign, i.e. clicked the link, filled out the form, followed the whole thing through, and would have been actually successfully targeted by an attacker. Luckily with us, it's just a simulation. But those, mm. you are 100% right that those mails are very sophisticated. People put a lot of time into them and they are very, very effective. You know, I, I, I often hear that cybersecurity is twofold. There's the technology that you can put in place and then there's the training that you can put in place. And, and those things oftentimes go hand in hand. But with a phishing attack, we'll get to the training in a second or strategies around it in a second. But to start off, is, is there technology that can be put into place to prevent such attacks? The quick answer is no. <laughs> the quick answer is no. Uh, there, there are different technologies that can obviously uh, st stop some of those attacks. They identify some of those malicious senders. They might be able to identify some parameters of phishing attacks like bad links, uh, bad files and stuff like that. But unfortunately, the, 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 the reason the problem is so prevalent is because there is no solution to block those attacks completely, technically. So the reason that you have all those different training, uh, including what Maysball does, the reason you have all these training uh, people out there, these companies that do these simulated attacks and trainings, is because there is a big lack in the ability to mitigate those attacks. There is no one, and, and also the more you do want to mitigate those attacks, you need to really deploy a hybrid of different solutions to start really tightening uh, the screws of, uh, of your defenses to stop those attacks. Anti-spam solutions, different WAF solutions, different botnet detection, detection solutions. And on, to on top of all of that, all those solutions need to work together, which is another complexity by itself. So no, there is no uh, one size, one, one, one solution for that. It just doesn't exist, unfortunately. Well, without giving away too many trade secrets, of course, what kind of strategies, what kind of training can be put in place 
ways to make sure that employees aren't falling for these types of attacks? So I think the, the strategy is twofold. I think you, you mentioned it a, few, a couple of minutes ago that there is the technical aspect. First, try and block those attacks as best as you can and as realistically as you can. The other, the other aspect is, of course, the training and simulation. It's very important to simulate real phishing attacks on employees and when they get lured, that they get trained on the spot. For instance, if an employee gets a phishing email in a simulation, in a training exercise, in a simulation, they get an email that looks like a phishing attack, feels like a phishing attack, it actually is a phishing attack, except nothing will happen to them. When they get lured and they click the link or they fill in the form, it's important that they get training on the spot and that that training explains to the employee how he just got lured. And it needs to do that in a very quick and effective way. Employees don't have hours of time to do your phishing training. We're in enterprise environments, everyone's got a, a little bit of time and they really need to be, we need to be efficient with their time. So that training needs to be to the point, explaining, okay, that URL did this and it has to be in simple language. And it has to be regular. So you have to say, okay, I'm going to kind of start off with all my employees in this program. And then I'm going to continue doing it every quarter or twice a quarter, these types of simulations. And I'm going to do different simulations. I'm going to do the spam simulations. I'm going to do the spearfish simulations. And then you need, what you really need to do is you need to uh, quantify. You need to see how, which employees are performing well, and i.e. which employees are being lured more, and which employees are being lured less. And the ones that are being lured more, you need to focus in on them and give them more specialized training. And, and really, always kind of bring your lowest common denominator up, especially when you're dealing in big organizations. You really have to go according to a, a, a very clear-cut KPI and methodology, which our company does provide in Mazeball, that we have kind of a matrix where we can see the weaker users, and you can just kind of target those weaker users and try push everyone up into the advanced type user, meaning that those users are able to identify phishing attacks, they're able to effectively report those phishing attacks, they won't be easily tricked. If they, you know, they can kind of see, okay, this email is asking me to do something urgently. Uh, would, my, would my IT department really be asking me to send me their password? You know, they kind of start to understand all those kind of key indicators of what a phishing attack looks like. And you want to see that awareness in statistics in your organization going up and the lower rate going down. And it has to be ongoing. So that's really, I think, where organizations need to focus. And also they really need to start, even though it's kind of counter to, to, to my business strategy saying this, but where you can do it, start having a virtual kind of um, sandboxed operating systems in your organization. For instance, even if a user does get lured, and uh, you see it a lot in banks and in insurance organizations, that even if a, lured, a user does get lured, because their whole operating system is running in a sandboxed environment, the moment that they shut their machine down, all the malware is gone. So the attacker has very limited ability to maneuver within that organization. So there are there is the defensive aspect and the proactive uh, uh, training aspect. Uh, real quick, real quickly, and I also want to mention you can also, you know, find organizations such as Maze Bolt to help you along with all of these strategies. But 
let's say a phishing attack does occur, and you already mentioned this, if you have a uh, sandbox, then obviously shut down the uh, the machine. But uh, are there other strategies? Are there other things that can be done? You know quickly right away that can help mitigate the fallout from an attack once it has occurred? So different organizations will have different strategies. Generally what what you have is you're going to have your SOC team or whoever gets the report of some kind of successful phishing attack are going to take a series of procedures. The first thing they're going to do is probably isolate that machine, you know, uh, using whatever control mechanisms they have, they're going to isolate that machine from the from the network. If any information was disclosed, for instance, some type of access credentials, the 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 team is going to the team is going to immediately start uh, changing those credentials and and do forensics analysis to see if any deeper penetration was done into the environment. And also, what they're going to do is they're going to proactively block that attack on the perimeter and see if other people have received that same attack. So you're going to have a few different vectors of response. It very much depends, and, and they must. You asked me what they should be doing. They should have those vectors of response. Those plans should be in place in every large organization today. And straight away, what you really want in the organization is to trigger that emergency response plan as soon as possible when a phishing attack is identified. So that's also another aspect of, the, of that defensive uh, kind of reactive uh, aspect to phishing attacks. Okay, uh, let's pivot into a, a, a pretty different type of uh, cyber attack, but no less devastating, if not more so, uh, DDoS attacks, which have been in the news, especially over the past year or so, and uh, really something that draw, uh, draws a lot of attention when it is in the news. But can you let us know what is a, a DDoS attack, and again, in a, in a corporate sense? So DDoS attack... Um today is an attack and and always has been an an attack that will stop your external services like web, uh, mail, voice. It will stop those services from functioning by attackers attacking your environment with an overwhelming amount of data or with very well-crafted data, which might not uh, be a lot of data, but it might be uh, data that's mixed in well to your existing uh, traffic that will also take your services down. So DDoS attacks are designed to stop productivity. They are designed to stop, for instance, if you've got a website, if you're a news website, let's say CNN or Fox News, whatever, and you get attacked by a DDoS attack, it means that none of your consumers can connect to your website anymore. If you're a stock exchange and you get hit by a DDoS attack, it means that you cannot trade anymore. If you some transport authority and you have an online ticketing system and you get hit by a DDoS attack, nobody can access that ticketing system anymore. So it's a really devastating attack vector. And correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, for the most part, DDoS attacks typically, or maybe not typically, but in a lot of cases, especially the big ones in the news, they're taking over other machines that are outside of your organization and focusing all of that data at your organization. So it's not even... It's not even uh, technology within your organization that is being used to attack you. Is is that is that fair to say? Sure, that's 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 very accurate. Uh, the, the the that's a good point. The way these attacks are launched is these malicious actors are taking over other unsuspecting victims. Usually, for instance, you would get infected with malware at your house uh, on your home computer 
or a server gets infected with malware through other exploitation. And then when those servers and computers are all infected, what they do is they have a piece of software that talks to a command and control center. And it basically always asks its command and control center, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And one day the command and control center says, attack that place. And then all those, what's called a botnet, all those computing nodes in that botnet will then attack the target that they get told to attack. And then you have your DDoS attack take place. So very often, private individuals are involved in those attacks unknowingly. Or it's not, it's not their fault. They've, they've just been infected with some malware. And that's a very good point. And the more, the larger a botnet, the more sophisticated the DDoS attack can become. For instance, you can have very high volumetric attacks, what's called layer three and four traffic, which is very high volume, which can saturate your, your, your bandwidth of an organization. But they could also have, from all the attacking nodes, Let's say you've got, let's say again, you're a news network. All of those nodes could legitimately request your homepage as if they're a normal user, except now it's happening millions of times. And that's shutting that homepage down now. So they can really do a lot of malicious activity with that botnet. And primarily what they're doing today are DDoS attacks. So... If if the technology or if the attack is coming from outside the organization, odds are there's not much strategy that can be put in place to educate employees. It's really not the employees that are allowing this attack to happen in this case. So how can organizations prevent DDoS attacks? If if everything you're saying is true, it, it seems almost impossible. So that's another good point, Jonathan. Uh, the DDoS attacks are very, very complex problem to, to stop, similar to the phishing. It's uh, something that uh, hasn't that, that the industry also hasn't been able to get a grip on. Uh, it primarily falls to the perimeter security of the organization to, to defend against those attacks. The type of technologies that you should have in place to, to in, the, in the ideal scenario to stop those attacks are twofold. You should have what's called a scrubbing center service which is a kind of a center that you get routed through on the internet that the that all of the organization's traffic would be routed through on the internet and when the idea being that when the traffic goes through that center only the clean traffic is passed on to the organization that's one of the components the other component is that the organization should have on premises equipment that if somebody attacks the organization directly before it can go to that, through that scrubbing center, that that attack would be blocked. So there'd kind of be this, the, the, the ideal scenario for an organization is to have on-premises equipment that blocks DDoS attack, and then also have a scrubbing center service where if they need to, and the DDoS attack is a very high bandwidth, they can request to be routed through where they would rely upon that service to stop that DDoS attack and only get clean traffic, which would allow them to continue normal network operations, meaning that their customers can still connect to their services. Okay, um, real quick question, uh, because I'm not 100% sure uh, what the answer is to this, but what is the threat actor trying to accomplish? Is it just chaos for a DDoS attack? Is it just like sort of for the fun of it? Well, it used to be. I think uh, there used to be a lot of, uh, you know, kind of uh, script kiddies that used to do this for, 
you know, playing around on, on games, uh, in game servers and stuff like that. I think that still goes on. But I think when you start to look at, when we talk about the enterprise space, or governmental space, uh, on, national, on the national level, uh, your, your national infrastructure, your stock exchanges, your electricity, your, your, your transport, the, I think these threat actors are normally what we're seeing today is, is mainly motivated politically, uh, out of some kind of cause, maybe somebody doesn't agree with some election or someone doesn't agree with some decision a company made or something like that. We also see uh, ransom demands where we have a lot with our customers that uh, they get told by some malicious actor that if you don't pay us X amount in Bitcoins, we're going to attack you and take your services down. And if you're a stock exchange or a payment card company or a gaming company, you're, you're very concerned about that because you're going to lose significant revenue. Uh, so that, that's another one, extortion. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and another one is also uh, using it as a, a, a kind of a, a, a smokescreen to perform other attacks. Because when you're under DDoS attack, unlike with a traditional malware attack, uh, or phishing attack or something like that, which is quite quiet. The DDoS attack is very loud. Everyone is aware that you're under attack. All of your IT staff are busy trying to deal with this DDoS attack. Everyone's in panic. You know, it creates a, a like you said, it creates a sense of chaos internally in the organization, which is perfect if an if, a, if an attacker wants to hit somewhere else in the organization at that time when they know everyone's guard will be down. Uh, and getting into slightly more technical uh, reasoning, also you could knock out devices that normally, stateful devices that would normally stop certain attacks. When you hit them with a specific type of DDoS attack, you may put it into what's called a fail open state, which would mean that those protections effectively no longer work. So what was not vulnerable before when those protections were working in the organization, when they come under a DDoS attack, they are now vulnerable to other types of exploits uh, that even the organization may not be aware of. So DDoS attacks can be used for a variety of things, but generally we see that it's some type of extortion or political uh, activism. And on, 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 on the more uncommon side is, is, is a smokescreen for further attacks. It is an attack campaign launched against an organization. Well, you mentioned some of the preventative things and, and you mentioned in your previous answer, you know, how the IT staff will be dealing with DDoS attacks. But uh, a little bit more specifically, when a DDoS attack does occur, what can be done to kind of mitigate the, the fallout of what's happening? What should the, the immediate response be? Unfortunately, Jonathan, the, 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 the simple answer is that people need to start listening to it. And a big part of what we do in Mazebolt is uh, that response will really be determined on how ready the team is to deal with a DDoS attack. For instance, if a, if a team has never seen a DDoS attack or very rarely gets hit by a DDoS attack, you'll see that what you're going to have is extended periods of downtime. In 2017, the average cost to an enterprise organization, according to a very uh, large company, states new style, uh, the, the average cost was $2.2 million for a DDoS attack suffered on an enterprise level. Now, the reason in a lot of those cases was because of the amount of personnel that had to respond to that attack and the lost productivity that you have. And 
when you have to respond to a DDoS attack, if you're not used to it, what will happen is you'll start to get hold of your providers. You'll start to say, hey, how come you haven't stopped this DDoS attack? The provider will say you don't have DDoS protection or, or they relied on the ISP that the ISP should stop it. The ISP says, hey, you don't have DDoS protection. And then they say, okay, we want it. And then they find out that fine tuning it inline is, is very complicated and takes time. And there's a real, a lot of chaos. Whereas on the other side, You've got organizations who have all the equipment deployed, you have the scrubbing center service in place, and they've done DDoS testing, regular DDoS testing, and they're much quicker and more calm with their response. They know what procedures to do. They know, okay, the first thing is we need to divert through the scrubbing center, let's divert. And very quickly, in a few minutes, they'll get control of the situation. So the response to DDoS attacks really very much depends on the human aspect of your team and how well they're going to respond to that and how well that scenario has been drilled because it's like any kind of, um, you know, a fire drill or, or any type of drill. If you don't drill it a lot of times, you, you're, gonna, you're not going to be good when the time comes to respond to that. And DDoS attacks is really... Uh, it, re it really shows the companies that do do the drills and do do the testing and that they are always proactively preparing for that attack uh, have much, much less downtime. The ones that don't can have hours or days and in some cases even a few days during the month for months. Uh, so it really very much depends. But responding to a DDoS attack has to be with the team and it takes a lot of preparation. Well, luckily, there are organizations such as MazeBolt that are out there to uh, aid their clients in uh, a lot of what we've talked about today. Uh, Matthew, could you let our audience know a little bit about what MazeBolt and organizations like it can uh, do for organizations? Sure. Uh, I think the, the, the thing that we've really just released now, as I mentioned, is the effectiveness of uh, the, the, the first independent report of DDoS mitigation effectiveness. And I think it really shows uh, how our testing methodology of DDoS testing and validation, what we deem baseline testing, has significantly reduced the DDoS gap, i.e. the DDoS vulnerability of organizations in very few hours of testing and working with those organizations. And furthermore, we've just released a technology called the DDoS radar what the DDoS radar does that's very different is it's a continual validation of your DDoS posture without any disruption happening to your infrastructure. For instance, in traditional DDoS testing, you have to schedule a maintenance period, run various DDoS attacks, and then you see if you get affected or not. That requires a maintenance period because if the attack succeeds, your environment goes down. Now, with the DDoS radar, what we can do, and with traditional testing, you can run like 18 different attacks in a three-hour period, and maybe you've got a couple of those three-hour periods a year for most large organizations, just because all of your team needs to be on standby during those attacks. What the DDoS radar does is it runs for thousands of hours during the year, validating your entire organization to on every aspect to over a hundred different types of DDoS attacks. And it does it all the time. And it's continuously reporting to your IT team the vulnerabilities discovered. And it allows your executive branch to understand how your vulnerabilities are dropping in your organization and what level of risk you've got. It allows very effective risk management and closing of that gap. 
So the DDoS radar really has, uh, I would say, changed the, the, it's really helped the continuity of, of, of organizations by significantly reducing the DDoS gap. For instance, the DDoS gap with traditional testing is, is around 30% all the time. With the DDoS radar, we've got some of our better environments are under 1% right now of the DDoS gap. And that's against over 100 attacks as opposed to just 18 attacks. So the DDoS radar, I think right now, would be the best way for people to prevent, proactively prevent DDoS attacks getting through. I also uh, would suggest that anyone listening to this download the first independent report, report of DDoS mitigation effectiveness. It will give you a lot of very vendor neutral data because we are not aligned with any of the DDoS defensive vendors. We've got a lot of statistics about how effective all the market is in terms of the DDoS mitigation. And Mazebolt can help you close that gap significantly. Well, if our audience wants to uh, employ your services or learn more about your company, uh, where can they find you? They can go to www.mazebolt.com and there or blog.mazebolt.com or kb.mazebolt.com. And they can find a lot of information about uh, our DDoS offering, our phishing offering, and other threat assessment services. And uh, we'd be happy to help. Well, I, I suggest that all of our audience goes there and checks it out. As Matthew uh, mentioned, really the the best and almost the only way to handle these types of attacks is to uh, put in measures to prevent them and put in measures to uh, and strategies to to handle them beforehand. So uh, be proactive about it. Head over to the site, uh, check out the report. Uh, Matthew Andriani, founder and CEO of Mazebolt, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Good speaking. Thank you for listening to My Tech Decisions podcast. Here at Tech Decisions, it's our mission to help you do your job better. If you'd like to learn more, head over to www.mytechdecisions.com or follow us on Twitter at MyTechDecisions. I'm your host, Jonathan Blackwood, Managing Editor of Tech Decisions, and you can find me at Blackwood Tweets. Thank you again for listening and good luck with all of your installations and implementations.